Hi, I'm David Pogue. Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your digital home for the RVing lifestyle. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com for additional information about each episode. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And finally, we are talking to you from our away-from-home studio in our motorhome in a campground, which could be near you. And it is October of 2023 to 22. We are, as Martha says, on the road, and we have been for over three weeks enjoying um, the hot weather as we head from Illinois down to Florida. Our timing on this trip was um, not quite to our liking, but controlled by circumstances that we could not alter. I had hoped to visit my sister and her kids in South Carolina last spring, but my knee surgery put the kibosh on that. So we but the wanted, surgery was successful. Yes, and we, worthwhile. Oh yeah, worth doing. Needed to be done. So we wanted to see them. It's been almost two years since I'd seen my sister. Normally, when we visit her, we stay at a county park that's less than five miles from her home, which is a wonderful way to visit people. Uh, if you have to visit people and live in their house, it's what is the, what is the saying about it? You go like a bad fish after three days <laughs> it's time to leave That's so good so, thing about being in the motorhome so this way you know we could spend as much time together every day as felt comfortable we didn't impose on them we didn't make a lot of work for her to do sheets and bedding and cooking and all that stuff um so i know that many of you who buy rigs visiting other people is one of the things you have in mind and i certainly would recommend that approach we also visited one of my nieces who lived even closer to a beautiful county oh, park, yes. which had all sorts of fun things to do. And that part of the trip was very successful, and I'm very grateful to Ken for putting up with all this family time. I'm um, such a good guy. You seem, to be, you seem to enjoy yourself now and then. So that was kind of the impetus for our leaving early, earlier than I would have wished to for this trip, because our ultimate goal is to leave our motorhome in Titusville, Florida, for the winter and then not have to worry about driving down here with snow and ice on the road. Another concern that I had was that this is also the tail end of hurricane season, which means absolutely nothing these days. The weather is so crazy. And we are happy to say that, by and large, we had very good weather, a little too hot and humid for my taste, but that part of the trip worked out just fine. And, of course, we are recording in the motorhome, which is our away-from-home studio, and it is a rainy, hot day in Florida, so we decided to spend the time indoors. Uh, We wanted to go to the beach, but, you know, can't go to the beach in the rain. But uh, it certainly is warm enough. And Chicago is having very good weather, so we wish we were back there. The fall is one of our best times of year, but sometimes you got to do what you got to do. We're going to talk about streaming here in a few minutes, um, because we've had some interesting experiences with that in the RV Navigator. But with the writer strike, of course, the stations and the streaming services have had a tough time coming up with new content and we ran across I don't know whether to call this bottom of the barrel or uh, a new trend, but we ran across a program that is streaming on 
HBO Max, which we get as part of our DirecTV subscription. Produced in Europe, in England, um, those crazy Europeans are much less puritanical than we are. The program is called Make It Attraction. Yeah, Make It Attraction. And this is a reality program where they have a contestant who is going to choose a person to have a date. So kind of like the old dating game with new rules. Yeah, it's a lot like the dating game where you didn't get to... In the old dating game, you didn't get to see the person. No, you ask questions. You just ask questions. You got to know their ah. personality. <laughs> you, know, you, don't give, you don't give a damn about anybody's personality. It's all in the looks. So this is just exactly the opposite. There are five naked people standing in front of the contestant. They're not allowed to speak. They're naked, naked. And and they have, at the beginning, they have a screen in front of them. They stand like in phone booths, and the wall in front of the phone booth is gradually <laughs> raised to reveal various parts of the anatomy. So they're standing there, and the first uh, section of the program, they raise the, the curtain, um, the screen in front of each of them, to the level of the waist. And, of course, they are completely naked. And then the contestant... And the host make comments about the bits and pieces that are below the waist. Some men, some women. They make some rather pointed comments, I would say. So that's the, that's the the beginning of the interesting part. And then the contestant eliminates one of the people based on their below-the-waist parts. <laughs> Do you need to go in this much detail? I think the point here is that if we didn't have such good streaming, we could never watch such wonderful programming. Oh, was that the... Oh. <laughs> well, we only watched season one, episode one. But in the end, uh, they reveal the entire naked body of the of the uh, subjects. Uh, they turn around, they dance around, and then finally at the end they get a chance to answer a couple of questions. <laughs> and the question is, what do you like about your body the best and what do you like about your body the least? And then the contestant uh, narrows it down to two people and then they go on a date with the person who finally gains the, the, the win, I guess. And the person who's asking the question oh, yes. disrobes at that point as well. So that puts everybody on a more even keel, so to say. <laughs> Oh, how TV has changed in the last few years. But this is, of course, a streaming show, and uh, obviously for adults only. So if you find this offensive, then don't watch it. But if you find it interesting, you might want to take a look at HBO Max. Uh, it's a new concept in TV. Anyway, back to RVing. We're on the way to Florida, and we have stayed in all national or state parks on the entire trip, or county parks. And Martha has had a good time going between 50 and 30 amp. She's a big proponent of 30 amp and getting along on 30 amps. On this trip, we have taken the travel philosophy we like best, which is to drive more than 300 miles a day, get off the road at 3 p.m., and stay over for three days. So we've cheated a little bit on the parameters of that, but it's been a very gradual trip south. And state parks certainly are a top choice for us. We like their spaciousness. They're more, they feel more like camping. You're likely to have a bigger site. 
and more vegetation around you. Um, but when you go to older state parks, we've stayed in a lot of these, especially in Florida, it's only 30 amps and probably water, no sewer. And as you might recall, if you've been traveling with us for a long time, we have an all-electric coach, and 30 amps is a real challenge for um, me as the cook because it's very hot and humid, and we're also running the air conditioners, which means that there's very little air conditioner. Po- which is yeah, we could be running two, but we only run one, which means there's very little power left for me, the cook. However, she doesn't quite understand parasitic loads, and I think you as an RVer need to understand that there are things that are using power in your motorhome or your RV that you may not understand are actually in operation. For instance, have you checked to see if your hot water is being heated by water, by water, by electricity or by propane? If it's being heated by electricity, then you're taking 15 of your 30 amps right there, and that's one of our issues. She also doesn't understand that when you're driving down the road and your batteries are getting depleted, that one of the things that happens is immediately when you plug it in is, is that your battery charger is going to be charging your batteries until they're fully charged, which is a good thing because you're going to need those batteries at some point. But it takes 10, 12, 15 amps in order to charge your batteries when they're low. So that's if you've got those two things on, that's 30 amps right there. So you have to make sure to shut those things off when you need to run other devices. Or else have sandwiches for dinner. (laughs) Which we have had a few times. Now, we have blown the circuit breaker on the outside, and this is not a big deal, but, of course, it does shut down the power in your RV for a while until you go out and, and turn it on again. So if you draw too much power, it's going to flip the the breaker on the outside, and then you have to kind of decide what you want to have on, because that's kind of an indicator telling you that you are either drawing too much power or that you need to uh, reduce the the consumption. We like 50 amp. 50 amp is actually, as I've explained in prior episodes, is actually 100 amps, so if by plugging into the 50 amp circuit, you have at least three times as much power as you would have on 30 amp. So we are kind of... uh, disabled in some ways with the 30 amp we could start the generator but that's really not worth it that's um, noisy so for we're careful neighbors. we're careful to turn the hot water off to turn the heating of the hot water off and we're careful to watch the batteries and other things that might be on now are lights a parasitic draw they don't take much power are lights a parasitic draw i turn them off are lights a parasitic draw not if they're off yes or no not if they're off <laughs> no if they're on? Answer is no. Why? Because they're DC. <sighs> See, he thinks awesome, I, he awesome thinks, and amazing. He thinks I don't understand these things, which he's told me a million times. But the point is that I don't want to understand these things. <laughs> oh, really? I want to make dinner. And I'm already thinking about dinner and how I'm going to cook it here as opposed to how I would cook it at home. So you can have as many lights on as you want because oh, those, are, those are drawing we from the battery. We can see the sandwiches. <laughs> Uh, but we try to look for 50 amp, but 
there's many state parks and places that we have stayed in, cheaper campgrounds, frankly, uh, we have gotten 30 amp. So, and we survived without much trouble. And the other thing that has been a limitation to me, spoiled RVer that I am, is that when you go for two or three weeks without sewer service, um, I like to do laundry along the way. As we said, it's been very hot and humid here, and I would like to have clean clothing. But there's no way to wash. Now, have I given you the capability to do laundry several times? A few, yes, after we have a, a lot of bitching and moaning on that part, we have gotten a few loads done. <laughs> and we do that by when we're staying only a couple of nights and we have extra capacity that she can run the, the washer dryer. And, of course, most people are not sympathetic to you at all. No, I know. But it is interesting that most of the state park campgrounds have had washing machines available. At least one. In the, so, in yeah. the bathhouses. Yeah. So that's been nice. Yeah. We don't generally use the bathhouses, but they have that available, and they've been close by. So you could easily walk up there, and not over, overly used as far as I could tell. But one thing I kind of think about when we talk about this is people who are considering full-time. Um, you can put up with a lot of these little annoyances on weekend trips or for a two-week vacation, but if you're living this sort of lifestyle for month after month, it could annoy you as it has has been annoying me, and you want to keep those factors in mind if you can add them to your rig. Yes, yes, and we certainly appreciate having a washer dryer in our rig. So from there, we got a kind of comment about the the driving down here. Uh, the driving has been pretty good. I would say the travel has been uh, without much traffic, and frankly, I've been fairly impressed with the quality of the roads. We've been on the interstates mostly. But overall, the interstates are in pretty good shape. We came down 95. We've been driven on 40. We've driven on 26. All these uh, expressways, and they've been in pretty good shape. And I think thanks to the Inflation Reduction Act, there's been a lot of um, construction on bridges and a few other places as well, which, while it is annoying when you're trying to get somewhere, I'm all for because we want to keep our roads in good shape so that we don't beat up our rigs. And we made reservations in these campgrounds in June and at these popular state parks and places, and we've been successful at getting in. But the weekend was a little problematic, one of them. We've been kind of dismayed because... Most of the campgrounds, even though it looked like I was getting one of the last reservable sites, that we get here and there's inevitably overnight empty sites. And we've talked about this before. I, Sometimes even the campgrounds will put a sign out front and say, we're full tonight, and you take a walk at 8 p.m., 9 p.m., and there's still sites available. I don't know why they do that. Yeah, we're a little confused about that particular factor because uh, people are really feeling the pressure to get a campground and you'd hate to have empty sites if people are looking for sites, especially in nice state parks. You know, these state parks have uh, nice big sites and lots of trees and <laughs> we haven't been able to use the satellite dish very much, which is why... But we've enjoyed the Spanish moss and the live oaks that are prevalent in this part of the country. And we've had quite a lot on the RV itself, so that's been very interesting. Uh, one of the things that we've had trouble with, because we have uh, tile floors in our motorhome is our slides. They have rollers that come over the the tile. And they seem to be particularly likely to pick up sand and dirt on one side of our rig. The other side is not nearly as bad. And quite honestly, it was already somewhat damaged when we bought this because it was a used rig. So this was a problem from the get-go. And our manufacturer, Numar, uh, sells 
those protectors that you put down on the floor before you bring the slide in. Theoretically, the slide comes over the protector, and that prevents the floor the from being, over the protector. being scratched further. But what happened to us with the rollers that Numar sold us was that they moved as the rollers touched them, and I was doing this dance between the five <laughs> places where we had rollers on our biggest slide, uh, trying to keep them all in place and failing a lot of the time. So if anything, the scratches have gotten somewhat worse, which I feel bad about. We try to keep our rig in good shape. But we ran across a guy who has kind of a universal solution. And if you have uh, a slide that comes over your flooring, flooring, any and, flooring, and, yeah, wood, yeah, even carpeting, really, yeah. uh, you might want to take a look at the solution. He has bought from Amazon some flexible plastic, and he applied um, felt to the plastic, so the the felt goes against the floor and uh, wouldn't scratch it, of course. And then the plastic, the slide comes up and over the plastic, which is very thin, and he holds it down with Velcro. And that seems to work pretty well. So I have a link on our website at rvnavigator.com, episode 221, and you can uh, watch this uh, video if you're having trouble with your slides creating marks on your tile, on your floor, flanking any, any place. It's it's kind of a nice, nice idea, and he gives you the links to the uh, to the, the parts that bought. you need. And, yeah. and it's, we have started to use it, and it will be uh, hopefully keeping our floors in better shape. The felt he purchased reminded me of contact paper. It was uh, adhesive on one side and yes. very thin. Um, in our case, we've been able to get by with two-sided Velcro that just holds the sli- slide protector in place. Well, that's only because I haven't been able to get the felt. I don't know that we need it. Next well, Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, we, next do, month. we do need it. <laughs> well, we're going to give it a try. All right. No? I don't think we need it. I think we do. The the protectors that we bought from Numar are, are hard plastic. Yeah, but they the hard plastic the when it squeeze it just squeezes the dirt into the floor. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, and we'll have more of this controversy in future episodes. <laughs> Your RV navigators are at odds. I should also add that a future project we can see coming is a final piece of upholstery Ooh. that was original to our RV. The fabric has started to delaminate. If you go back a few years, we were complaining vociferously about that for our um, driving chairs and our easy chairs. Uh, the driving chairs we got reupholstered through Numar with a little subsidy from them. The recliners, we just, that's easy no, to they, do. They gave us 50% yeah, off on both. It's easy to buy a recliner. Yeah. But now I'm looking at the couch that's peeling like a bad sunburn Ooh. and getting it apart, getting it out of the door, getting something else to come in. I am not looking forward to this at all. So we're headed to Florida and we will be there uh, for a while and then in November we're going off on another cruise. But for the time being, our rig is going to be in Florida. And we're going to drive it again on January 17th when we go to the Tampa Super Show. We've been to the Tampa Super Show several times, and we consider it to be the best show in the country. It's, of course, in Tampa for four or five days. That we've been to. That we've been to, yes. Well, we've been to a lot of good ones. But we've been to some. We consider it to be the best and the biggest. Uh, we're shopping for a few minor things, not a new rig, but uh, a few, like the, a like new the sofa. Couch. Like a new sofa. But... Uh, if you're going to be in Tampa or in Florida at that time, let us know. Maybe we can get together and uh, and say hello. 
otherwise, you might want to just kind of go and visit the Tampa Super Show. It's very easy to go and boondock overnight in the parking lot. And if you don't want to boon, if you don't want to pay for the camping that they have, which is a little expensive, uh, it does include generator electricity, but uh, that's about it. Then you might want to just uh, boondock in the parking lot. I think it costs twenty bucks a night, and it's easy to do. Usually the temperatures are quite reasonable, and you're right there in the parking lot, so you don't have to stand in line to, to get in, which is always uh, a benefit at that show, because the first day it's really pretty crowded and the lines are long. And on the weekend it's crowded, too. Yes, yeah. So what are you going to look at there? Well, I'm going to recommend a, a YouTube channel that you consider looking at in the near future. It's from <laughs> Josh, the RV nerd, and he has great resources. <laughs> I have watched him for uh, several years, and his job, he makes about 10 reviews of RVs every week, new RVs, but he has lots of uh, YouTube topics that are of just general interest. And so I consider him, I watch his videos quite regularly, but I never watch uh, the reviews of, of rigs because I'm not in the market to buy one. But if you're looking, for instance, he has topics like uh, the best couples RV or big secret about full-timing and, wa and RV warranties, which is a very interesting video, by the way, which you might want to watch. Hidden room and a half-ton towable RV. Ideal mid-sized truck camper for solos and couples. So lots of topics which are of general interest and very specific interests because he reviews specific rigs too. So if you're coming to the Tampa show, you might want to take a look at his website before it and see what he thinks about uh, rigs that you might be considering. Especially if you are a first-timer, um, these big RV shows can be overwhelming. They have so much stock there that you hardly know where to start. And if you watch Josh, it might help you to narrow the list of the rigs that you want to spend some more time with and find out more about. We have seen his rigs, of, uh, his reviews of individual rigs now and again, and my impression is that he talks about the good, the bad, and the ugly. So yes. it's not like he's he has, been very straightforward. It's and not he's like not he has, selling it. It's not like he has an no. agenda of what yeah, he wants I would to agree. sell. Don't leave home without these ten things. RV pro tips. So you know topics that are of general interest and to novices as well as. Uh, experienced RVers. So if you're in that category, you might want to take a look at his site. I think you can probably just go to uh, YouTube and type in Josh, the RV nerd, and you'll come across his channel. Otherwise, I will have a link on the RV Navigator webpage for episode 221. No, it's for episode 222. Did I say 221 before? Yes, and then you corrected yourself. So I'm going to correct myself again. No, I'm going to correct <sighs> My life, my life is all corrections. All right. From listener Cindy. We just got back into RVing again. We are finding service for our phone is terrible and Wi-Fi service isn't any better. We were wondering what you guys use as a booster. I'm thrown off in this, in this message from Cindy that she uses the term booster. She wants to make the signal stronger. What do you use to do that? I don't. <laughs> we used to. Yeah, I don't find boosters, to, and I think most people don't find boosters to be very valuable. 
But these days, now we came all the way down here, and we have not hooked up to campground Wi-Fi once. I don't even try. I don't even Ours try. Ours is always better. Ours, yes. Ours is always better. And as you remember, a few months ago, we switched over to T-Mobile with our phones. And when we did that, they offered us a... T-Mobile hotspot for the home internet at the same time for $25 extra a month. Now, that's a super bargain because it was unlimited high-speed data. So for the same price that I was paying to Verizon, I could get two phone lines and a hotspot from T-Mobile. So I took them up on that offer, and we don't we use it at home for backup when occasionally when the our wired internet goes out. But I bought it mostly for using in the motorhome, and even though it's called home internet, uh, it works fine on the road. Now the device is fairly large as like Wi-Fi hotspots go, and it does not run on battery. So you have to plug it into a USB-C connector, which is not a problem. It's not that big. I was no. thinking if I was still in our old camper van, I would find a place for it. No, it's and important. I consider that a, a plus because I think they can put uh, the booster or something similar, extra extra antennas, inside the case. And so it, it actually works quite well. And we have used it here on the East Coast, and it has been strong every place we've been. So what are you recommending that Cindy do? Get a T-Mobile hotspot? Yeah, or I think they need, their finding service for their phone is terrible. I, they need to look at their phone service. And well, so I'm, and it varies where you are. I mean, here on yes. the East Coast, we're in highly right. populated areas, and phone service is good. Yes. When you're out west in the boondocks, we might not be saying that. And I'm providing you with a link from the RV Mobile Internet people that is talks about which cellular carrier is best. I think she needs a new cellular carrier. Now, of course, we carry a hotspot from AT&T as well as T-Mobile. We have not really had need to use the AT&T one because the T-Mobile one has given us great service. And when I may say great service, right now we're getting 400 megabits a second download, which is as good as you'll find any place at home. And all the way along the trip here, we've gotten at least 25 or 30. It's kept Ken sane because he hasn't been able to use the satellite dish to get his favorite TV programming. And we've been able to get something worthwhile to watch uh, with streaming. And the dish just stayed flat on the road. Now, we want to mention that when I talk about uh, download speeds, that you need to regularly check your download speeds because that will give you an idea of how the streaming is going to go for your multiple devices. And there is a free app that's available for all platforms that's called Speed Test. Speed Test, if you download it and press the button, it will tell you what you're getting for download and uploading speeds. I've mentioned this before, but you need to get this in order to check your speeds before you make any decisions about the download speeds because there might be something else that's wrong that you're not uh, picking up on. First, start off with the download speeds, and it also tells you latency, and latency is how long it takes for the signal to go out and come back, and the lower the number, the better. In terms of uh, download speeds, the higher the number, the better. And as I said, I was getting 400 megabits a second right here, right now, and at other times, I've been getting 25, dramatically less. But is that good enough? It depends what you're trying to do. If you're working on the road, it's probably not good enough. If you're working on the road, that's probably plenty. Even to, with the bad latency, you, you have to go back and forth when you're yeah, working. Yeah, well, you want to look at the upload speeds, too. But, yeah. but basically, if you're... 
in the 20 to 25 range, you're good to stream good enough. One, one device. Good enough. So if you have uh, an Apple TV or a Roku or something, uh, you, you, you'll be able to stream without any problem. And if you're at 400, you can have multiple devices and everything running simultaneously. Anyway, you might want to take a look at uh, their resources and see how your connection compares to other people. Of course... One of the options these days is Starlink, and I have not uh, picked up on Starlink uh, yet because in most of the places we've been here on the East Coast, Starlink would be useless because of the trees. Starlink needs a much wider view of the sky than a standard satellite, a TV satellite. So Starlink uh, doesn't really like trees, but uh, many campgrounds, if they're wide open, you're on the beach or wherever, then Starlink will work very well. Question. Uh, you've talked about putting um, up a big antenna and putting the Starlink on No, no, the not an antenna. Pole. pole. And putting the Starlink on top of the pole to get at the sky is, better. But I think I've been seeing people in some ca- campgrounds that have a flat Starlink right antenna. They put, it it, they put it on the ground with yeah. a wire and take it to a place where they can get a better view of the sky, which is what we used to do with our old satellite dish before we had it on the roof. So that's also a choice. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like in this campground where we are right now, uh, we're very near the beach, and so the trees are low. And I see a couple of people with their uh, their Starlink. Uh, their, the Starlinks are square. You can tell pretty easily uh, what it is, and they have them just on a small tripod on the ground. So that works fine as long as it uh, has a view of the sky. It doesn't really care how high it is. And then you run a wire to your rig from it. It comes with a 150-foot wire, so you're going to be within 150 feet of your rig. But if that's... Uh, if that's an option, and of course, our my thinking is is that out west, where cellular service is not nearly as good, uh, Starlink will be the real answer. And Starlink has, uh, as I have been predicting for uh, several months, Starlink has finally uh, gotten approval for their smaller dish, and they're coming out with a brand new dish, which is going to be about the size of a 13-inch laptop computer which is really small. Mm-hmm. And they've come out with a new data plan for $140 a month for 40 gigabytes of data, which is a decent amount. I should say 140 gigabytes of high-speed data, and then it uh, is deprioritized after that. But it's probably still pretty good even so, depending on exactly your location. But Starlink, they have over 5,000 satellites in the air right now, and the, the service just keeps getting better and better. Um, and they have over 2 million uh, uh, users. So you see it in campgrounds uh, quite a lot. And I would uh, seriously consider it if you're more or less full-time. Although you can turn the Starlink service on and off by the month. So that it is possible for you just to take an extended vacation and use Starlink and then turn it off if you don't want to use it at home. Does that make sense? Yes. So Starlink is becoming even more viable for our viewers as uh, the time goes along here. Streaming on the road. We have been very satisfied with streaming. Uh, it's interesting that I've been streaming from our phone to the TV or from our iPads to the TV, and that has worked out very well. We've gotten uh, our, our direct TV 
subscription includes streaming of, of regular channels, which is interesting, the normal cable channels. Because if you don't have DirecTV or you don't have uh, one of the cable services at home, then you probably will have to pay extra to get the streaming of the normal cable channels like MSNBC or Fox or uh, the sports channels and those. CNN. CN- CNN, right. So because we have DirecTV as a satellite service, we suddenly get the capability to stream. We also get this from Spectrum, which is our cable system in Florida, and we get it from Xfinity, which is our cable system in, in at, home. at home. So with those three, we've been able to get most of the streaming channels that we would like to watch on a regular basis, and it has been kind of hit or miss. Changes with every location, it seems yes. like. Yes. Well, yeah, uh, even though we, we have good Wi-Fi service or good service from uh, the cellular data, uh, sometimes it works good and sometimes it doesn't. And the other choice I have, which I've mentioned before, too, is that we have Tableau at home hooked up to an antenna, and so that antenna uh, takes and streams the normal TV channels that we get in both Florida and Chicago over the Internet for us to receive and stream. So we you can watch your favorite football team lose again. Oh, she sticks the dagger in and twists it. My favorite team, the Bears, lost the first three games. How loyal am I going to be? Luckily, I'm taking you away on a long cruise, and you won't be able to see them at all. But I streamed all three of the of the games, and uh, I was able to watch them. Although, uh, the last game was the game of the week <laughs> against Kansas City. <laughs> Which probably many of you watched and uh, were happy to hear that the Bears lost. No emails about the Bears required. (laughs) So what other interesting topics do we have? How about the new Photoshop? I've mentioned Photoshop a few times. And interestingly enough, uh, Photoshop has moved to Photoshop 24, which was recently introduced. It now incorporates the AI feature from the beta. And I posted some pictures. Generative AI is just amazing. And one of the th- cool things that you can do with it is is that you can improve the composition of your photos. <laughs> After the fact. If you take a wedding photo and the couple is standing there and they're in front of a, a, a bus or something, you can cut it automatically. No, it does this automatically. It cuts them out and will put a new background behind them. A more romantic than a bus. Whatever. It's very cool. So... The generative AI, you cut out the subject and you say, give me another background. And in 15 seconds, you've got six choices of backgrounds. It might be a sunset. It might be a forest. And it's cool because it's blurred out. I mean, this feature is just way cool. If your picture has a distraction in it, it has a house behind the subject that you don't want in the picture. Or a random person walking by. Right. You just circle them, say, generate a new content for this area. Uh, if you go back a couple of months, I had some examples on the website, but the new version of Photoshop is even better. The beta version was good, but the current version is even better. So even though it costs 10 bucks a month, uh, we use Lightroom regularly to catalog to keep track of all of our pictures and uh, give them keywords and names and keep them by date and things. Those That's a very nice feature, and I'm willing to pay 10 bucks a month for that. 
but to get Photoshop free, and especially the new new version of Photoshop, is uh, well worth it. And I would, <laughs> if you have any interest in photography, I would give this uh, give this a shot. When we look for the next campground we want to stay in and make a reservation at, more and more campgrounds these days are giving us photos of the campsites. Uh, they tell you the size of rig that the campsite will accommodate, which is um, important to someone as large as we are. Sometimes that's accurate, sometimes it's not. But you now have another way to study um, a campsite before you book it, and that's through Google Earth. It has a ruler function which allows you to measure the site by placing two points where you want them. You can use this in both desktop and mobile versions to measure any campground before you campsite before you the actual campsite you want to stay in. And like at this campsite, I I looked at it. uh, We've been to this campsite before. We're at Gamble Rogers in uh, Flagler Beach, Beach, Florida, and. I looked at this campsite from the air, and you can easily see the campsites, but it's really hard to tell how big they are. And as a matter of fact, some are bigger big enough. Our, yeah, that's some are big common. enough for our rig. It's, yeah, yeah, that's very normal. You can use this new feature of Google Earth to actually measure how long the driveway is of the campsites to see if you're if it'll fit you, which is way cool. I mean, that's a whole another nice addition to Google Earth. But now I'm thinking about a little problem we had on our last campsite where the site was long enough, uh-huh. but the turn into the site was a little bit problematic, and we had to keep a close eye on her, our awning lest uh, we lose it. As you drive in, Can you, you got to look up and make sure that the road is okay. So what? you need to measure width or well, from that where site the trees was, well, are? Well, if there are trees, it's hard to yeah. measure the length yeah. of the site. I mean, you, you might be able to see it, but you can't see how the trees are going to do. No, that would This is not perfect, but it certainly is a tool that you might want to consider using. This is another interesting trend in RVing, and that's the fact that propane is going away. I kind of advocate this, having been uh, in an all-electric RV now for the past six or eight years. We certainly don't miss propane at all. And apparently, as I talked about a couple of months ago, propane fridges are becoming not only very expensive, but kind of hard to find. And major manufacturers are going to 12-volt or residential. So even the Amish don't use them anymore? I have no idea. Uh That used to be kind of our backup in the Indiana area where we have bought our RV things. The Amish live there, too, and they have all that stuff. I don't have any idea, but if they do, they're they're spending big bucks because because Norcold left the United States. They're being manufactured overseas, someplace, and the supply is way down. So Dometic is the only RV manufacturer is the only RV fridge manufacturer that sells propane, and they're apparently taking advantage of their monopolistic situation and raising their prices dramatically. And to me, the other disadvantage with propane is it seems much more likely to have fire problems. Well, it, to me, it eliminates a whole system out of your rig, so that if you use your air conditioners as uh, heaters, if you have bi-directional air conditioning, then you will have a, you can use that for heat. And you can heat your water with the fuel from your gas tank, yeah, diesel or, or, tank. Well, or, 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 or electricity. Or electricity, right. So anyway, uh, it is apparent that uh, 
propane is kind of going away as a source of fuel on, a, on many motorhomes. And I didn't realize this, that one of the most expensive components in an RV is the stove. Because it can use both. So manufacturers are looking... No, because it can only use one. It only uses propane. Stove. Not a... Not a okay. okay. And the convection ovens are becoming the standard for most RVs. And use less power anyway. Probably. So the bottom line is here is, is that manufacturers are looking to cut costs. The way you cut costs is to cut out one of the standard systems to go to a 12-volt refrigerator and to get rid of the oven and go with just a convection oven. And it's not that you're not going to be able to buy a propane if you're interested in going boondocking, but it's going to be much more difficult and much more expensive, and it's not going to be in the low-end rigs anymore, which is interesting to find out. Last month, we had an interesting uh, letter from Ian, who lives in England, and I mentioned uh, in emails to him some of those dimensions and and specs of, of rigs here in the United States, and he was kind of amazed. And he sent us a really nice letter. If you've ever been thinking about uh, camping in Europe yourself, you would be especially interested in, in knowing how things are different from us, in some cases very different from us. He says the biggest difference is that European vehicles are so much smaller. The average camper van or motorhome ranges from 16 feet to 26 feet, with only the odd vehicle larger than that, although they do exist. Slide outs are very rare, but we do have a lot of pop tops that lift up, particularly on smaller vehicles. In the UK and Netherlands, it is the caravan, which we call the trailer, that is the most common, and the camper van, which we call motorhome, in the rest of Europe is most popular. I don't think I've ever seen a fifth wheel. A lot of camper vans will be below 7,700 pounds fully laden, and the vast majority are under 10,000 pounds. Most will be diesel and based on a Fiat Ducato chassis or the Citroën Peugeot equivalent, which you have as the ProMaster. Mercedes Sprinter and Ford Transit-based vans are also popular, but very few on a coach or a bigger truck chassis. Diesel is expensive here at about $7.20 per U.S. gallon, so our engines are smaller and fuel economy has to be higher. I have a 2.2-liter diesel engine, which does 28.6 miles per U.S. gallon. A bigger vehicle would struggle on our smaller roads, at least to get to the interesting places. And I can definitely uh, concur on that. Although we saw lots of uh, RVers in Norway when we were there, they were all of the small type. And he goes on to say, we have lots of cassette-type toilets, which I mentioned last month was uh, something unique to one of the new uh, vans in the United States states but almost all campsites have emptying ports outside of the uk a lot of petrol stations supermarkets and even small towns have places where you can empty your waste fill up with water and even change your and even charge your batteries for just two or three euros Hmm. something we don't really have that much of most vans have fresh water and gray water tanks and these are emptied by driving over a grid or drain and opening a valve the a permanent sewage hookup I have never seen. (laughs) I have 70 liters, uh, 18 gallons of fresh water and 70 liters of gray water, but only 20 liters, 5 gallons in the toilet cassette. 
but that's fine. I don't think you'd need much more than that. Most of Europe is very friendly to camper vans and motorhomes with lots of free or cheap options as well as campsites. We have stayed next to the Mediterranean Sea on the Ooh, beach, by nice. a lake in the Alps, or next to the Roman walls and medieval cathedral in Le Mans for next to no money. We don't have as many big open spaces as the U.S., but I can drive for 200 miles and go through three or four countries <laughs> and change languages three times in a day. Wow. If you do that drive in France, there will be eight Gothic cathedrals <laughs> and 28 distinct types of cheese. Ooh, that sounds actually good. Finally, I can suggest to any listeners who want to visit the U.K., get at least 100 miles away from London, or better still, fly to Manchester or Glasgow. The scenery in Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, and Northern England is stunning and much more rarely visited. Well, we appreciate that email and the tips about uh, RVing in Europe. Uh, it's uh, very different than we have here, being that our, our rig is 14 meters long in round numbers and weighs 35,000 pounds. <laughs> wow. Big difference. Well, we're going to be at our final destination in just a couple of days, and hopefully the government remains open, even though the writer strike has been settled. Uh, we have the government being shut down. But you probably want to hear a few puns as we end this month's podcast. So, a couple of extra puns. I saw an ad for burial plots, and I thought that's the last thing I needed. <laughs> Sleeping comes so naturally to me. I could do it with my eyes closed. Are these bad or what? Yep, they're bad. What do you call a super articulated dinosaur? A thesaurus. Oh. Oh. You're not completely useless. You can always serve as a bad example. <laughs> so, if you are in Florida, uh, maybe we'll see you at the Tampa Super Show in January. Otherwise, we will be uh, talking to you next month as we spend the month in Florida uh, enjoying... Very hot weather. Not so enjoying far. very hot humid yeah, weather. Yeah, we're there a little bit too early, but that's the way the schedule ran this year. We hope to hear from you. Please uh, send us an email. Uh, contact us as you will. We will be here waiting for our listeners to make contact with us. We always like to hear from you. And you give us good ideas of things to talk about, and we appreciate your loyalty and your continuing to travel with us wherever it is we're going. We're always on the road, and we're looking for good ideas from you. Thanks for listening. Happy travels. Stay healthy. Bye Talk now. to you next month.